0: Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws?
1: A planet where apes evolved from men? There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Kayla. You may not like what you find.
0: Damn you all to hell!
1: The year, 3955. Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They're marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor. Trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth. A planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Invade! Invade! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them, engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the Apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want, war, or peace. The superintelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday, Bob. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants. In civilization's final battle, to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure half human and half alien? Is it the beginning or the end?
2: Everybody and welcome to Is It Yours. I'm Paul Spataro, and you know one of the things I'm learning about this is if you do specialized shows, you get to pigeonhole your friends. So I have my two Planet <laughs> of the Apes friends on with me today, Mr. Zaki Hassan. How's it going? It's going well. How you doing?
3: Uh, it's good to talk to you again. What is this? Uh, we're, 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 it's we're like, like three weeks in a row, talking. isn't it? I know yeah. people were going to start talking, Paul.
2: I know. I've already well, heard the rumors. <laughs> I, I'm curious what they're saying, and, we, we, and that other voice you hear is Mr. Rich Handley. Hello. Hey, Rich. How are you? I am doing okay. okay. we're all still uh, quarantined away as much as we can be, and uh, this is this is how I socialize right now. So thank you guys for uh, for allowing me to do that. But yeah, uh, it's pretty as, much as,
4: uh, it's pretty much my life too.
2: Where and you see me
4: on the screen is where I am 24 seven and socializing is when I'm on zoom. So life has gotten interesting guys.
2: It has. And I'd like for it to become much more boring. Yeah. I'm hoping I thought by now it would be, but you know, I guess the, the early predictors that this was going to go into the fall were, you know, not as, as not as dour as I thought. I, I thought, you know, they're, they're, they're overstating it, but no, no, <laughs> no such luck. Anyway. Uh, You know, barring something turning us into mutants living underground, we are here today to uh, review Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and as we did with Planet of the Apes, I don't want to do just a traditional review, because I'd rather dig into the treasure trove of information that you both have about this series a little bit, Uh, because when they finished the first movie, and they decided to make the second movie, they had all sorts of choices to make. So... I want to kind of look into like what choices they made, how they made them, and whether they made the right choices. But I also want to look into the fact that I think the uninitiated tend to point to this as, oh, this is the bad planet of the apes. And I've and, never understood it. And yeah, I, I think the three of us are all a little perplexed by that perspective because I, I as far as, um, yeah. unless I'm speaking out of school, I think all three of us are particularly fans of it. Uh, and don't understand the criticism the only criticism i can really get on board with is they the you know the production producers screwed them over said we're going to cut your budget and then you know there's scenes where you could just see you know the apes in the stands are all wearing really cheap masks
4: the, the, uh, the scene uh, with them sitting in the stands is what I always think of too. be I try to focus on the front row if you look at the back rows it's a, it's like Halloween in the <laughs> but, uh, but but really I, I think it's a really good film The only major thing other than that what you just said is the fact that the plot of the first half of the film is, is kind of derivative of the first film but from that point on it becomes a fascinating movie and, and I, th- I don't think it I don't think it at all deserves the uh, the
2: ribbing experience. well my, my experience, is that when you're making a sequel uh you know you you have to you have to walk that fine line between just recreating what you did in the first movie and going you know there's there's that which is to me is is a recipe for failure to some extent or there's going so far afield from the first movie that you're going to lose your core audience and that's a recipe disaster as well so I kind of understand the having the derivative beginning before you expand your universe, and me I think they really did a good job of expanding the universe. I I, I always wish to see more with the and you know basically I've gotten that in the comic book. You know, otherwise we we haven't seen too much of it that I'm aware. Of.
4: This is gonna sound self-plugging, and I don't mean to, but in my book, Tales from Forbidden Zone, there are actually a couple stories about the mutant. Um, so and uh, and I, those are the ones that, that really excited me because I
2: I absolutely am fascinated by the mutant. How about you, you Zachy? What's your experience with this
3: one? You know, it's it's interesting because I'm as I'm talking to you, I'm remembering the fact that my first exposure to the franchise was through the animated series, <laughs> uh, which which you know the the mutants were a big part of that. And so I remember watching the first movie and blown away. a couple of years later, however, having that in the back of my mind, like wasn't there the thing with like the the underground people like you know the underdwellers they're called them the underdwellers yeah um and so my experience with beneath the planet of the apes was a quest unto itself because um i watched the first film in Saudi arabia must have been like 88 89 something like that and um i saw i saw the first one and the third one and when i came when we my family moved back in 92 to the states uh, the movies were kind of like in between home video releases and so I just wanted to watch the second Planet of the Apes movie and I would be calling up various blockbusters, various I- independent video chains just trying to find Beneath the Planet of the Apes and I did not end up watching it until uh, 94 or
2: 95. Is that when it showed yeah. up on AMC?
3: Yeah, it was like, on. there was one of these like uh, it, was a, it was a marathon, I think it was on USA actually and a cousin she knew that you know i'd been waiting for it so she taped it and also conquest was the first time i saw that and it's very funny because by then i had bought the uh you know malibu put out a trade paperback collecting comics adaptation so i got a hold of that and so that was my that adaptation was my first exposure to the the, the film the story of the movie and were you surprised
4: how different the movie looked than the marvel comics because the Mutants very much are so you, yeah
3: I mean, you know, but, but I, I mean, because, because Alfredo Alcala draws them just, you know, horrific, right? Now I, yeah. I was, I was, you know, by then I knew enough to be like, all right, well, that's not what a '90s you know, G rated movie is going to look like. So I, I, I had my sense, although um, it gave me the, the sense of what to expect in the film. And I think that helped actually, when I watched the movie, I did, you know, I already knew the scope of the story. So the, 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 I, I get, that people were disappointed with the with the film and and if i'm being honest i think of the sequels i probably prefer three and four to to two um but i i you know i i love the fact that it's just so completely bat crap crazy and, and this is a successful this is a sequel to a hugely successful and they're like hey let's just like have people like pulling off their faces and blow up the earth cool sounds good come on <laughs> you know
2: <laughs> well, that's—I mean—that's one of the things I love about it—is they—they almost just said to themselves, "We're not going to have any restrictions on where we can go with this. Let's right. let's expand on it." Now I know that there was—I uh, I know I remember us talking about it last time. at Rich, you had mentioned uh, what was it like a sequel that was kind of Planet of the People or something like that. That they oh uh, yes,
4: uh, Pierre Bull had written had proposed a well, he had written a script called Planet of the Men. And you can find it at Hunter's Planet of the Apes, Arch- of the apes Archive if you want to read it. Um, but he had written a script since, since they were adapting his novel. And it basically sort of uh, flips the script. It, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the humans are the focus in a world of apes, but there, there are more, which is the same as the first movie, you know, the humans in a world of apes. But the, uh, the idea is what if the humans start regaining the world again? Um, it's not a bad script. Beneath is better. And I, I get, I get, even though they, I would see them wanting to honor Pierre Bull, but I, I get why they went with, and I agree with Zachy, by the way, one of my favorite things about the movie is that it's bonkers. Like at, at what point in history, other than this, right? I mean, I think, can you think of another, a crazier idea for a sequel then? Well, we just did a movie in which uh, basically evolution turns on its end and apes uh, over the world. How about we follow that up with, an atomic bomb supplanting Christ in Christianity and people who have faces that look like pizzas and then they pull them off. Like I, I, You have to give them so much credit for coming up with the craziest idea they could have come up with as a sequel to a movie, knowing that it might seriously have offended people and that it was so different than the first one that it might've turned them off, even if they didn't have a religious sensibility. I give them a lot of credit for that because it was such an out of the box idea and unusual. Um, in fact, I think that's true for pretty much all five movies. Each of the movies is so different than what came before. And if you look at strings of sequels otherwise, a lot of times they, they tend to follow the same formula, right? I mean, Star Trek has had a lot of great stories, but let's face it, they've been doing revenge for years right? You know, so sequels tend a lot of times to have the same formula. But the Planet of the Apes movies, each one is completely different than the one that came before it. And it all started because uh, because uh, Beneath decided to take us on an LSD trip uh, through uh,
2: Pizza Face Mutants. Well, let's, I mean, I think the first area, I guess the first area that they were handcuffed was the budget. But stepping aside that, from that Uh, the next area that they were creatively hampered was the fact that Charlton Heston did not want to star in this movie. Right. Uh, You know, he, he was willing to basically do the cameo. I know his, his take was you have to kill me off at the beginning of the movie. And they flipped that and killed him off at the end uh, and just had him not in the beginning, except for a very short time. Uh, How do you suppose it might've been different had Charlton Heston being been willing to, to be in it fully. Zach, you want to take that first?
3: Yeah. Uh, thank you, Rich. Yeah. I think in a, in a way, it, you know, H- Heston talks about this in his, in his autobiography. Uh, yeah. He, you know, seeing what happened with franchises after his time as a superstar, you know, with Arnold and and everybody, he's like, I could have just dined out on eight movies, you know, for the next decade. And I'm always, I'm always fascinated by his foresight where he was like, we've told the story. Like the story we wanted to tell is not Adventures Among the Apes. It's the arc of this guy going on this journey and having this, you know, his come up. And so weirdly, his decoupling himself from the franchise is actually the best thing that could have happened because it essentially set the goalposts at anything goes, right? Once you, once you kill off Chuck Heston, you say well whatever happens next we have no idea and obviously i'm sure roddy mcdowell was eternally grateful for <laughs> for, for for chuck heston yeah. asking to get blown up because you know
4: i think i think uh, he was you able to continue right? to have heston as a star instead of mcdowell yeah, yeah well yeah and i and guess I, if,
2: if he had shown a willingness to come back for multiple sequels they wouldn't have killed him off and they probably never would have come back to modern day America, but unless unless they uh, would have had Charlton Heston come back, you know Taylor come back uh, with them.
3: Yeah, you know if if I can make a if if I can make a comparison, you know uh, a couple weeks ago my my partner Brian and I we did a commentary track for RoboCop, and uh, you know the comment that I kept making is the first movie like Planet of the Apes, it told the story. It ends at a point where you're like this particular story has already been told. Everything else is just adventures of the robot, and and you know. I think Chuck Heston having that realization of I don't want to do more allows it to not be more adventures among the apes. And it becomes this very, I mean, I keep using the word bonkers, and I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, this series, yeah, you can't compare one movie to the next in, in that none of them puts tracing paper over the window. Definitely not. And, and, and so in that sense, uh, Charlton Heston saying, hey, just pay me this and and, and you know, kill me off. Allowed the concept to be the star, and that was
2: the thing. Feeding off of your RoboCop commentary, uh, I, <laughs> I I remember that you mentioned that, or I don't know if you or Brian mentioned it, but whichever mentioned it, the other one agreed. Uh, <laughs> that when you were watching the the, the faux commercials during the movie, uh, to some extent, it felt like an effort to copy what they had done in the first movie, and it it, it felt a little bit more uh, perfunctory, or you know, like they felt like they had to do it. Uh, yeah. You know, it didn't feel as clever and as fresh as it did in the first movie. And I think that was a risk that they had here. Uh, and I think, you know, we saw that to some extent in the beginning, like you said, when they're kind of just doing the derivative Planet of the Apes thing where, you know, okay, now Brent landed and now he's got to be exposed yeah. to the Apes. Right, but and... at double
4: time so that he can get yes. out of there halfway <laughs> through the film. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right. So, you know, Quick, but, but run I, to I, Ape I, City, I... find Nova, now leave.
4: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I I definitely think that they, you know, they sidestepped it as the movie went along by adding in all these new elements that you hadn't had before. Uh, So, you know, I I think that that was definitely a big plus in this movie, because, again, you know, the funny thing I, I find is that people complain about the mutants, but I think it's the best part about the movie. It's the most fascinating thing in the movie. In fact, it's the best thing about battle, which obviously
4: we'll, we'll you know, we can discuss which that more. Chopped later. right out, didn't yeah, we? We'll
2: <laughs> the, the yeah, but the reason
4: that battle, the reason those scenes work so well in battle is because of Beneath. Because they mm. resonate mm. with what I consider the best aspect of Beneath, which is, well, if the apes survived on the surface and most humans succumbed to whatever they did, a plague, who knows what it was at that point, you know, at, at that point in the, in the film series, well, did anybody survive and what crazy changes would have happened to them? I think it was one of the most imaginative ways that they could have presented humanity. Um, if you look at so many other post-apocalyptic stories, humans are either savages running from, you know, living in sewers running from machines or, or aliens, or or they're just, uh, you know, like running around fighting each other for fuel. But this was unique. This was just crazy <laughs>
2: and well, one and of the things I, I i'm sorry i don't want to try to so i
4: was just say, and it really worked which which is the astounding thing because to go back to um to uh, robocop 2 robocop 2 i felt kind of played it safe there's some fun stuff about it but i honestly think there's only one good robocop was the first one one great one yep. And um, if it, it, the second one, but without the, the perfunctory use of, uh, of the commercials to me was playing it's right, yeah. I don't think that that beneath played it safe at all, even with the derivative. I think okay. they took a lot of risks, you know, what, what if we introduced another, another astronaut, but we actually didn't give them the same story, you know, like we just sent them on a completely different path. What if we show a, a, a Vietnam parallel with the, with the chimpanzees. What if we tackle religion? You know, what if, what if we, hmm, how about we blow the planet up in a series <laughs> that is successful when we'd like to do more movies? How about we, You know, like the fact that they were willing to, I think they took more risks with this movie, I would argue, than any of the others. And uh, and and whether or not the quality is the same, I think the risk they took on this.
2: I think the 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 element that you mentioned about you know turning Christianity on its ear that they're yeah. uh, that they're worshiping the bomb that they uh, replaced yeah.
4: the cross with a bomb yeah I mean that that, that, that almost that comes out of up Monty up Python's
2: meaning of life
4: yeah exactly
2: you know it, it, that and could, it actually <laughs> works yeah it could be total comedy and it's definitely mm-hmm. satire. I mean, there's no question about it, you know, when, when they're praying to oh, it, the, and, hymn. You know, yeah, the hymn
4: is funny and dark and disturbing at the same time,
2: but it, but it does work. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do kind of believe what they're showing you there, which, yeah. you, which is, it's fascinating when in its own way. And, and you, you know, it leaves you wanting more of these mm-hmm. mutants and what they you know, how they developed and what they, right. you know, what, how, they, how that culture developed. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, we talked about the, uh, the decreased budget and one of the things that i i find to be really kind of a cool aspect of it and i think i think i may have gotten it from behind the planet of the apes where they would they talked about this but it's been many years since i watched that so i'm not sure but when they showed uh you know when they get down into the subway system and you know, the underground area, and they show these areas all broken up, and all they did was take photos and cut them and kind of put them together and have them, you know, as a matte painting in the background, and it looks great. Oh, my God, I, it's amazing. to this day, so well. it stands up. A couple yeah. of years ago, I showed my uh, my
4: teenage son all the movies, and he was really pulled in by all the stuff of underground New York. And I said to him, you know, consider that this movie was made 30 years before, and the and the effects in the movies that you've grown up watching and you're sitting on the edge of your seat, looking at a painting like that. That's pretty extraordinary that it has that staying power. Yeah, because it, it, it was, it was a, it, it should. I mean, if you look at movies in that era, a lot of them don't stand up well. Um, and the Ape, Let's be honest. The, the effects in the apes films uh, have a. A rather diminishing effect, they get weaker, you know, in terms of their well, the budget.
2: budget went down with each movie. exactly. <laughs> by, by the last but, movie, but, that, I think but those they gave underground a
4: scenes are just amazing, even, even if there's no logic to the fact that all of New York is somehow underground.
2: <laughs> well, they're in the subway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is exactly. underground, yeah, but you also have like. Radio like City, library. yeah, no, Radio <laughs> City, yeah. But but it, yeah. you know
4: you put you, you put aside logic because this is also a movie in which people worship bombs. <laughs> but, but yeah,
2: and one of the things that, that's just I, it's kind of a silly nitpicky thing that takes me out of it is when they're walking through the tunnel and it's first of all the tunnel is completely round. And it's only wide enough to fit like one person through it at a time. There are no tunnels like that that I've ever seen. And I've been taking the subways since I'm a teenager.
4: Well, I'll be interested in Zachy's take on this. I've actually given thought to that because and I've come up with a theory that those were not part of the original. Because the rest of the subway is decrepit right so if the mutants were just using existing structures those tunnels would be decrepit as well i think they
2: built them i think that's their way of moving around i think it's kind of cool that you already have a head cannon for mm-hmm. my little nitpick
3: that, that was my assumption too yeah
2: I think okay. you've <laughs> thought about that as well yeah
3: because the, just, it's well, so the, so the fact looking. that it looks so new it looks mm-hmm. it looks pristine
4: it's maintained that's the thing it's yeah. maintained you can even hear like which sounds like air conditioning. (laughs) So I Uh think that it's, uh, I think that they're maintaining that as opposed to the, you know, the the crappy areas that that they ignore, which are the man-made parts from the pre-bomb.
2: Now I had seen this movie when it first came out and then between double features and when they had the go ape special where you could see all five Mm -hmm. movies at the same time, I probably saw this in the movie theater. I I certainly saw it at least three times. I probably saw it five times. movie theater before it was done. Uh, So you know, it, it's got a special place for me, and I always found it to be just fun. Uh, and I'm curious as to, you know, Zach, you mentioned how you first were exposed to it. How did you first see it, Rich?
4: Well, I never saw any of the originals in the theater, um, and yet I've been a fan since the 70s. Um, but I came into them after the movies had uh, left the theaters. My mom, I, I've discussed this in other podcasts, and I don't remember if I mentioned it the last time with you guys, but my mom was always a major sci-fi fan. I pretty much owe my career to her. I grew up in a house where it was common to be watching Star Trek and Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, Planet of the Apes, uh, and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and you name it. It was on. If it if if it were remotely uh, sci-fi, as my mother watched it. And in the in New York, as you know, New York, there, there was the 4:30 movie. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the 430 movie, um, which I, I'm Zachy, I don't remember if you and I have talked about it, but in New York at, on, on the channel, local channel seven affiliate in the 70s, there was a film, huh. a, a daily film showcase called um, 430 movie. And uh, every day they showed another movie and some, and they had theme weeks, So they'd have like Godzilla week and they had a Charlton Heston week when they would show things like the Omega man. Uh, and they had a, weirdly enough, they had Gidget Week. And that one never made any sense to me. Because that did not fit the rest <laughs> of their theme. But, um, yeah, they, like, it was all genre stuff. And Gidget! Because, you know, why the hell not? Um, and, uh, but they had a Planet of the Apes Week. And every, well, they had a, they ran that a couple times a year. And my mother showed it to me the first time that it ran. And I was just so blown away. And, and every day for one week. I came home from school and I did my homework. We set up dinners on snack trays in the living room and 10 year old me sat down with my mom and and watched these, uh, these five movies. But here's the thing, for whatever reason, they decided to split the first movie into two nights. It's not like it was two hours longer than all the rest, but I guess they wanted to capitalize on it. So we only saw the first four over a five-week period, a five-day period, and then had to wait for sci-fi week to watch battle. It was a very strange decision on their part. But a couple times a year we did this, and this is how I got into Planet of the Apes. So by the time the movie was available for home video, VHS, um, i had already seen it several times, but never in the theater. Uh, and when I was able to- That was your first uncut
2: it, viewing, I guess.
4: Well, that was the weird thing. I had no idea. Like like anything, where you watch something uncut for the first time, especially in the pre-internet days, I didn't know I was missing scenes. So you can imagine, after several years of watching it on the VHS, comes out in a box set, and I brought it home, was all excited, started watching these movies, and went, "What is this? Wait, when did this scene happen?" You know, I was it was ecstatic. It was like a religious experience. And yeah, uh, no. yeah. So then, flash it, uh, forward years later, when they did the extended versions of Conquest and Battle, it was like, all over again. It.
2: Having seen it you know, now enough times in the unedited version. Mm-hmm. Uh, ha- has your memory blended now so that you don't even remember what the new scenes were?
4: Honestly, I have no idea. I-, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched these movies, largely because I write about them. So every time I do, I have to watch them <laughs> several times. So uh, at this point, I the versions that currently exist, the first three being the way they are and the extended versions of four and five, to, that's the version in my head. So it's hard for me to, Really remember what ten-year-old me watched. I do remember though that when I first time I saw it on on um, on DVD, that there was more violence. So I think Channel Seven might have taken out some of the more violent. But I couldn't <laughs> tell you specifically. They, which they're one. not a
2: violent people. They don't kill their enemies. Yeah, exactly. Their enemies kill each other.
4: <laughs> I just remember that. I remember that. I remember thinking, Wow, that scene. This was. This would have been like. What was it, the late 80s? It's been, I'm 52 and my brain is not as spongy as it used to be, so I apologize. But um, whenever it was the VHS box set, I want to say late 80s, or 91.
2: VHS sure. box set, I'm, I'm thinking it was late 80s. Late 80s,
4: yeah, that's what I thought. And uh, yeah, so I bought that and watched it several times, and each time thinking, "This is more violent than I remember." Which never, which didn't offend me; it just surprised me. You know, I was like, "I don't think mm-hmm. I've seen all these scenes." <laughs> well, I, I can
2: tell you, you know, that my mom and dad had no problem with whatever. I, I, well, what year? What year was the original release on this? So we're looking at uh, 1970.
4: So you know, for beneath so, was seventy.
2: So this would have been seven and a half year old me, and my parents were like, "Yeah, go. It's good." Have a good I time. Two, I was
4: two. <laughs> I wasn't being brought, taken to the theater to see that in 19 but my
2: I'm, mother, not, I'm not 100% sure I wouldn't have been.
4: <laughs> yeah, but I, I, my mother did see all five of them in the theaters, and she loved all of them, which is why when 4.30 movies started, that's why she made a point of saying, get your homework done, we're doing something. The Before they made
2: the 4.30 movie, when they would show them on ABC... Mm-hmm. I think it was ABC that aired them, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It may have been one of the other channels. But in, in any event, when they showed them, like in the world television premiere, I, I think it was
4: CBS,
3: Paul. I think it was CBS
4: yeah. because
3: maybe because maybe they, it was. They picked up the series, the the TV series, because of their success,
4: which is yeah. also why they re edited those the, the TV series into five uh, TV movies because they wanted to be able to run. Uh, they wanted to run ten movies, so they ran the five movies and then. Five movies re-edited from the teaser, so I think you're right. I, I didn't know that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do remember you have those. names, like really, really long names. It was like Treachery For- and
2: Greed on the Planet treachery of the Treachery and end. Greed, yeah. Life, yeah.
4: Liberty, and Pursuit on that's the Planet one of, of the Yes, yeah.
2: yeah. yes. But, uh, you know, I do remember, though, when they would show the, you know, again, the world television premieres of these movies, it was, I was going to say in my household, but it might have just been in my brain. It was an event.
4: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: I... I Just remember it being, you know, I was glued to the TV. I had my little portable cassette recorder pressed up against the speaker so that I could have as close to a VHS copy as possible on my little audio cassette. Uh, I did that
4: too. I had a tape recorder and used to listen to movies and couldn't see them. I did it with Star Wars a hundred times. So, yeah.
2: Well. You know, when when it was the only way to get a hold of something, mm-hmm. you know, that was that's what you exactly. did. Now, yeah. I didn't realize until sometimes, and again, I saw this many times in the movie theaters, but I didn't realize until sometime in the 80s, probably around the time of the H.S. release, uh, that Roddy McDowell was not in this one. Mm. I, 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 well, it,
4: it's an amazing uh, imitation. I mean, when you know it, <laughs> if you know it, you can see the differences, but when you don't know it, he he definitely passes as McDowell. It was remarkable.
2: Yeah. When I remember He's my buddy telling me that and I was like, no, get out of here. That's, that's that's a lie. And we didn't have the internet for me to look it up. Right. To trust trust wasn't worth really <laughs>
4: big. Zachy, uh, I'd be interested in your take on that, Zachy, since you came into these movies later. Did you know going into it that McDowell was not in beneath? And if so, did, did you uh did you figure it out or did you did they cat did they trick you? Uh,
3: I I did know and the reason I knew is because Marvel. I had before no, not because of Marvel, because uh, it, um, I had read the Mad Magazine, The Planet That Went Ape. Uh, oh, and the, the okay, right, And right. In, in the parody of Escape, you have Cornelius like, oh, I didn't, or no, no, I'm sorry, it's in it's in uh, the parody of Beneath, where Cornelius is like, oh, Roddy McDowell uh, thinks dressing up like an ape is beneath him, so he's hosting You Bet Your Life in a Chicken suit. And I, so mentally, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> i guess he's not in this one you know so it's weird how i had i had pulled all these references again before i even seen the movies so i i went in forearmed with uh, a lot of the the stuff that i i needed to know to set my
4: expectations for it you know what i mean
2: oh
4: i'm sorry paul i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead i was
2: gonna say i had that mad magazine and i loved it i i yeah must Savior. have read that thing to death
4: um my, my son's first just in mirroring zaki's story my son's first one of the apes uh was Spaceballs. so yeah. uh, I, we watched that because we were watching star wars marathon when he was a kid we got to the end and i said all right you're gonna see these movies now so yeah, his, yeah. Just, your, your exposure was a, a really bad cartoon in mad magazine his was uh yeah. was uh, mel brooks <laughs>
2: Well, just just to wrap up <laughs> yeah. that my my son's first exposure to it was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, but then ah, well, after friend. after I got him to see those three, he did sit through the originals with him. Oh, okay. did he like them? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. It's it's not that I've seen him pull them out and put them on a, again, but he did it. He he sat through five movies, so I'm thinking you know if he didn't enjoy it, he would have walked away long before and turned on some video game.
4: Right. My 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 son and I marathoned all nine movies and then both TV shows, and he loved it. Uh, including return, which honestly, I didn't think he was going to sit through. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, he, 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 he got a, ch- a kick out of making fun of it. I think that was part of it. You know, the, the bad voice acting, you know, <laughs> Bill Nova! You know he, 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 <laughs> he, he, got a chuckle out of that. Or, so, or, or, so. or the Fred Flintstone version of Ergo. I, I was about to say and Fred Flintstone as Ergo, you beat me. <laughs> In a big orange suit, a big orange That's Fred it.
2: Flintstone. Well, you know, when when you watch this movie again, just kind of nitpicking a little bit here for me, and maybe, maybe you guys can continue to make sense of things for me. Uh, we talked about how in the first movie, how Zeus, in his own way was somewhat righteous and that he was trying to protect his society. Right, right. Uh, we also talked about how not everybody was aware, you know, he was one of the few people who was in the know about this.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, even if I accept... The conceit that maybe General Ursus also was aware of this, because he's so quick to want to put an, a, an end to the humans. I don't understand why the population at large is viewing them as such a threat. I've never really understood that because they don't think that humans came before them, and they don't think humans are intelligent and can speak. So, the, to me, the, you know, they're looking at this as, you know, this is like a. Uh, you know, if squirrels start breeding out of control and you have to start exterminating them. They're, they're looking at people in that way, that they're more of a nuisance uh, than, than a true threat to them and their society. And yet they're all on board. Right? You know, the only human good human is a dead human. Yeah, yeah, you
4: know? The only thing, I, here's okay, the best answer I can give to that one is that the masses are always easy. The masses historically in human society have done a lot of horrible things that we look back on and go why did you do this? Or, or a lot of stupid things where you go, why would you do that, right? And and the masses are easily led because as a species, and, and apes are very closely related to us. So I would imagine if they were more evolved, they'd have all the same foibles as us. As a species, we like to be led and told what to do. So if the, if the people at the top are telling them, um, well, there's two aspects there. One, if the people at the top are telling them, humans are bad, shun them because they're, uh, then they're going to do it. But two, it's the central premise of their religion. The beware the beast speech can't be the only thing in the sacred scrolls telling them that they're evil, right? So if you look at why uh, why some alt-right real, real di- right-wing Christians uh, dislike homosexuality or, or Jews, they will say it's in the Bible. That's the only reason that they need. And so for the apes, shunning mankind is simply because you want to come right down to it the beware the, 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 the beast is all the reason they would need and and frankly because they could be imprisoned for heresy if they said otherwise
2: but are they all privy to the sacred scrolls where it says beware the beast man or is that just something that that the the i think scholars so given that, at the no. end of the
4: no i think so at the end of the first move i mean it's their religion i mean i think the stuff that they're not told is the records of the fact that man was intelligent Right. I think what they've been given is a and Jackie, feel free to chime in on this. I I think they've been given a picture that, you know, they're a pestilence. Not they had a nuclear power and computers and went to the moon. Just they're a pestilence. And that for for people who are living under dogmatic um, really, really dogmatic and, and, uh, and uh, almost dictatorial leadership uh, with fear of, Now, even though they're supposed to be apes will never kill ape, I mean, Zier and Cornelius are told they're going to be put to death. So there's clearly a death penalty in a, in a society that says apes will never kill ape. And uh, so heresy is a punishable crime. If people yeah, were told what the, what, everybody kill a, a tree, they would run out and burn the forest down, right? But what were you going to say, Zeki?
3: I, no, I, I just as I'm talking to you I'm I'm and I can't say I've thought about this before but I wonder you know the, certainly the way McDowell reads that passage it sure feels like it's the first time he am, am that's I wrong it's kind,
2: of, kind of my thought process that they were not privy to this these are the sacred scrolls that are, are have been kept away from the people for all this time and this is why Zeus knows that they're a threat uh, that the other uh, that the other you know the other members of that society don't know. So, of course, so to me, see, to me just... like, like I said, it just almost seems incongruous that the masses would feel that way. And I, and that's, that's not to discount your theory that they're easily led. I, I don't, I think that has some merit to it. Uh, you know, and, and you could easily, you know, just put it with, uh, you know, Nazi Germany and, and exterminating mm-hmm. the Jews for no other reason that they're Jewish. you know exactly exactly
4: but i I think you guys raise a good point i mean mcdowell does kind of read it that way doesn't it i guess you know it is because i i it's hard for me to put myself back into the standpoint of not having seen the other movies and in escape and we'll get more into this next time it becomes clear that despite what we were told in the first two films everyone's read it because because they 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 honor aldo and and they, they know they all know that humans uh ruled the planet and the apes overthrew him and so forth. There are there are holidays, to, you know, for that this. that uh, that yeah. speech in escape is
3: the clearest evidence that uh, Paul Dane was very much making things up as he went. Oh sure. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I but mean the, the, fact the, that, the fact that beneath is 23 years before Pe- right. planet is all the proof <laughs> you need on that one. So
2: <laughs> the uh, you know, I mean the, the the popular understanding is that every time they made this is the last one. Yeah, you know, and that's, although, although clearly, you know, when they, when they made, when they ended Escape with the baby saying mama, they're, they're, they're leaving the door open for a sequel.
4: I think if they hadn't had diminishing uh, box office returns, they would have just, eaten. the mm-hmm. world was caught up in ape mania, especially in the United States. And uh, if the TV, if, 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 I mean, the TV show was popular, despite the fact that it was canceled. And um, and in Europe, it was extremely popular, very well, it was very well received. But the movies had diminishing returns and. Um, it's a shame. I, I don't think they would have stopped. Oh, although if they'd gone much further, the movies would have had a four dollar budget. You know, so
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that's the difficult. problem. Is they, yeah. they weren't willing to invest in the sequels. Yeah,
3: but but yeah. to be fair, I mean I mean like now we live in the uh, you know the paradigm where Iron Man in two thousand eight leads to Avengers Endgame in two thousand nineteen, right? I mean back mm-hmm. then the only the only precedent was the Universal monsters.
4: What you mean for a long running series? Yeah, and, and James the, Bond. The, Godzilla, Tarzan, there were a few, but there weren't there weren't that many. You're right.
3: I mean yeah. I mean yeah, Bond
4: yeah, I mean touche about
3: Bond, but I mean I think I think P- Planet of the Apes was certainly in terms of sci fi franchises, it was the first of its kind stateside since the Universal Monsters. I wouldn't oh, even sure. lump in Godzilla, right? And and so I don't think like in hindsight we can be like, Well, why wouldn't you like you know go bigger bolder but i don't think at, given what they knew at the time they weren't wrong yeah. to be like sequels make less let's spend less so that we justify the investment well I also-, I
2: also think they received some resistance at the studio at the, you know mm-hmm. the studios to bankroll them yeah. because the they, had, they had they had their doubts yeah.
4: Yeah, at the time these days sci-fi and comic books and horror they're mainstream everybody loves them but back then you know there's the stereotype that we had to read them beneath the sheets and not tell anybody about it right so <laughs> that was the mind frame at the time there's also there's a big thing too A movie comes out now, and it's going to be streaming. It's going to be on Blu-ray. There's going to be special editions. There's going to be merchandising up the wazoo. But in 1970, in the early 70s, there wasn't. So when when, when Battle came out, it's not, I mean, actually, okay, well, sort of. I mean, there was merchandising clips, but I mean, it's not like. It was different. It was different, and it's not like when the movie came out, they said six months from now, everybody's going to buy Betamax. Right. I mean, it wasn't um, like that. Right. So yeah, I, I think yeah. the diminishing returns hit them a lot harder than it would now, because you could turn a, a failure around now by going crazy on selling the Blu-ray or a streaming rights. You can't you couldn't do that if a movie bombed back then. Well, and the so merchandising
2: much, back then would have been the, the toys for children, which were not particularly right. impacted by the sequels and the Marvel right. Comics tie ins, which also weren't, you know, they weren't dependent on the sequel.
3: Well, I mean, right. all of those happened after the, the cycle of movies was already done.
4: Yeah, yeah, the Marvel came
3: afterward.
2: But the, the toys existed, if I recall correctly. There were Ape's I, toys while the movie... But
4: not like Mego like and all that stuff came out. Was it Mego 74? I could be wrong. I, I'm not an expert on Mego. Uh, I I,
3: Mego started between movie five and the TV series.
2: That's what I thought, yeah. yeah. What, wasn't there... Uh, I'm trying to I mean, remember. Wasn't there like, things, like, like there there was there, an ape garbage village garbage. that they sold? And was that Migo or something else? That's
4: Migo, but I don't know when it came out. There was also, I mean, like, I know that when I was a little kid, before I had even seen the movies, I had a plan of the Apes Garbage Club. <laughs> so I mean, there was some stuff, but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't but, like today.
2: The difference is the toys then were intended for the children. Now see, they're intended yeah, exactly. for us. <laughs> they're intended for the people who were children back then.
4: There's a certain irony to the fact that the reason I had a Planet of the Apes can was because my mom was a fan and bought it for <laughs> oh, me. Oh, look, there's a gorilla on my, on my garbage can.
2: Little did you know where that was going to take you. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, you could basically say my, my, uh, a large part of my
2: career path started in the <laughs> any, any uh Any particular mutant that stood out to you among the rest? Any, uh, any particular ones yeah was it was it you know was it just were, were the mutants interesting to you and did they catch capture your imagination just as a as a you know a group that you know these these this is a society and how it developed or did individual ones catch your eye and say that's the one I find fascinating in any way Zachy, yeah, I hand this one off to you first
3: <laughs> <laughs> I you know I, I think rather than than any one mutant in particular I think the, the way in which they built uh, they, they built sort of the, the cosmology of their world is very fascinating to me. And it's not, you know, they don't explicate it uh, in the dialogue, and yet, you you know, you see all the busts of the various Mendez, and that gives you a sense of the hierarchy and how long this line has been going. Like, I love how the world of the mutants extends beyond the frame, and it's sort of just left up to you to imagine.
4: What that's like. I think uh, it's it's interesting that for me the mutant that I was most interested in was Mendez the first in battle, but he didn't he wasn't there wasn't enough there. He was the one I wanted to know more about, but it's because of Beneath. It was because Mm -hmm. of that line of busts. I wanted to know what is it about that guy. That was going to create this lineage of 26 leaders over 2,000 years. And that, that I thought was fascinating. Um, as far as which one in Beneath, possibly Ungaro, the, the torturer, just because of the hypocrisy of his stance huh. of not killing our enemies. We call our our enemies to kill each other. <laughs> I mean, I realize that's not just his stance. They all believe that, but he's the one who said it. And so to me, that's fascinating. He has a great death no. scene, too, which helps. Oh, he, his
2: his death scene is is amazing.
4: Yeah.
3: You know, what, one thing that always fascinated me is when the apes find Albina.
4: Yes. And the way. You the, one guy, the one
2: that's playing with her hair. Plays with her hair, yeah. yeah. And, sure and I was going to exactly. say, she's the one who fascinates me the most for some reason. And hmm. I think it's a combination of that, the fact that she's the female who stands out, and also the fact that Natalie Trundy managed to get into all of these, yeah. except for the first one. She managed to get into every playing yeah. different parts.
4: Zachy, did you read the novelization of that scene? Uh, I, I have it, but I have not read it. The ape is getting sexually aroused. It's an interesting scene to read, and really? it's uh, the, yeah, it's like you, you, it, it goes into a little detail about why he's like. Oh, oh, hair! Oh. Like he just—it's like—it's creepy, actually. Uh, but it's yeah, an I, interesting I never thought
2: st- of it that way. I just thought he was fascinated. Like I've never seen hair like this before. And I think uh, that, you know, that his only experience—yeah, yeah—I'm thinking his experience with humans is you know like animals, where right. the hair would have been matted and disgusting, and now you have somebody who's well groomed and blonde right. and with you know pretty silky hair, and he's just like amazed by it
4: yeah i that's mean the
2: way i perceived it. yeah
4: the, the scene in the book as i remember is a pretty suggestive one which i thought was both <laughs> gross a and choice.
3: at the same time <laughs> it's a choice yeah that's a good point it's a
4: choice yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's a very strange
4: but then again here's the thing one of the things that they had intended for the movie was an ape human hybrid so it's not it's yeah, not so like yeah it's
3: not like it's
2: outside
4: the realm of that film
3: monkey love was on a lot of people's minds
2: clearly now where were they going to go with? Because I I know I've seen I've even seen you know like the test the picture of the kid. Yeah. What well, where were they going to go with that? Is that in uh, Planet of the Men? Is is that I mean, where that
4: comes from? No, no. Um, the scripts that I've read, he's not in there. Like I've always wondered, <laughs> where was they he? They were going to go non
3: non G rated is where they were
4: going. to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently that was uh, yeah. <laughs> now i i, I just want the thing is I, like in order to have a character like I, I think that the studio made the right decision because in order to have a character like that you have to be able to answer the question how do you have a character like that yeah because yeah there's only there's only three scenarios it's genetic engineering and these are apes who you know they're, they're, they're not capable they live in it's, huts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although they do experimental brain surgery and live in Adobe buildings. Go, go figure. Anyway, uh, but putting that aside, it, so it's not genetics, right? So marriage, which is just weird, uh, or rape, like, because the only way you can really, okay, either a human raped uh, a chimpanzee, or a chimpanzee raped a human, but how do you get at that into the movie? In any of those scenarios, right? So I think they made the right the right decision not to.
2: I, I would imagine if they had had the child in the movie, they would have totally sidestepped that question, ignored it. And I, you just, know the, what? Just I've, given you I nothing. have a
4: theory on what they would have done with it, and I could be wrong. I think it would have been divine. I think it would have been. I think it maybe, and I could be totally wrong in this, but maybe it was some sort of abandoned concept that because they talk about you know god's will and maybe it was god's will that human and apes come together now, that's not the direction the films went uh so who knows but that's about the only way i can come up with you could pull it off because by by you know like if if you have a divinely inspired hybrid you don't have to deal with the question
2: of how it happened could you have could you have explained it away somehow with saying you know when the humans were dominant uh, their theory of evolution was that man evolved from ape. When the apes were dominant, their mm-hmm. theory of evolution is that they evolved from humans. Now we so have this, this combination thing that is true the evolution. Link. Hmm? So this kid would have been the missing link. Somehow, yes. Yeah, somehow uh, tying it into the missing link.
4: There's also the fact that we already see that movies supplanting planting Christ in Christianity, and Christ was was divinely uh, created Conceived. so it could be that they could see thank you I had my mental so it could be that that was another step in that where they went maybe an ape christ were going too far you know like maybe that was oh, maybe yeah. that's why they didn't do it i mean i know that revolution on the plan the apes and mr comics was going to do something with a parallel with a gorilla and christ and i did not that that might be. now I, I don't know though i'm, I'm making this up as I a-
2: yeah well that's 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 how the show works <laughs> i throw <laughs> questions out there and you see what you could do with them right. uh, but uh I think it's, it's apparently a misconception based upon what I've read, but I kind of always thought that Taylor in his dying moments just kind of reached out and fell and inadvertently set off the bomb. But then when I read about it, they're like, oh no, no, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to end the cycle of violence uh, by just destroying everything. And what's your take on that?
3: (laughs) Uh, I've always seen it that way. Yeah. I I think it was, he, he, I mean, he was dying and he directed his body like a guided missile towards Mm -hmm. the guided missile. Uh, I mean, I mean, you can see why Heston was gung ho above and beyond like, oh, I don't want to do any more sequels. I mean, it was, it was a culmination of, of Taylor's journey from movie one. Right. I mean, he leaves Earth because humans are just—they're they, terrible. He comes I was back. Just and like, well, say humans, this, yeah. humans are terrible. Everything's terrible. That's just, you know.
2: It's Let's good. just end.
3: <laughs> you know, and and it's a book. Uh, end. I don't it's know
4: bookend to his opening scene where he says yeah. there's got to be something better than man, and he realizes nope, there isn't. Nope. <laughs>
2: so. <laughs> Yeah. Now, for for uh, an audience of pre-adolescents, uh, there was nothing more exciting than to talk about how, at the end, Taylor is is there and he's literally got his heart in his hand as he's falling down. And I just remember people, you know, and by people I mean you know other eight-year-olds just being like blown away by that.
4: It's the only movie I can think of. It might. I mean, there's movies that are bloodbaths, and let's face it, every Shakespeare play is one. But it's the only movie I could think of where every single character died in the final scene. And I mean every single character.
2: <laughs> until <laughs> right? they so, retconned it with the next until,
4: movie. Well, no, because they went back and... Well, oh, I see your point. Yes, that's true. Three people survived. But, but I mean, um, the intent at that point was that every single person from all of the various species are dead. And it's, it, so it was definitely, I think, it was... Uh, I think it was intentional because I, I think that this was... It was the studio's way, but more importantly, it was Heston's way of saying, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think, I mean, the
3: cynicism of Taylor rendering judgment and saying mm-hmm. there are no, no one is worth saving. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, and and by the way, you know, we are talking about the difference between the, 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 the comic book adaptation and the film. The one big difference is you see James Franciscus just shot to hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which absolutely, I mean, it shocked me then, and to be perfectly honest, it shocks me now. I mean, when you see him just kind of crumple to the ground uh, in this pitiful way, I mean, it's it's dark, you, you know. I mean, that's I I I really like that's something I've grown to appreciate more as I've gotten older because I, at, when I was a kid, that didn't sit right with me, but now I'm just like, man, that's ballsy. I love it.
2: Well, it, it's almost like they said, you know what, yeah. you thought the ending to the first movie was dark. Yeah, we, right. see, we see that and raise you one. <laughs> yeah. We call you, yeah.
4: But actually, I mean, look, the, as we discuss the other movies, we're going to get to the fact that the ending of all four of the first ones is pretty damn dark. I mean, they, yeah. they kept doing it, right? You know, because you end the next one with the murder of the main characters. You end the next one with a revolution where they're beating people death. I mean, it's, it's like they went, you know... Get, don't get used to these people. We're going to yeah. do something terrible to them by the end.
2: you know. <laughs> well, you know, we're yeah. going to, we're going to get to these other ones, but just while we're on that thought process, the fourth one was so dark that they had to lighten yeah. it up a little bit exactly. before they could release it.
4: Yeah. Which was a mistake because I think that the extended so version better. is times better,
2: which oh we'll, God. we'll get
4: yeah. to that when we get to that. <laughs>
2: yeah. well, I'm, just, I'm just glad I, you guys think, are going uh, to get to the more.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I following up with what, uh, with what Zach, said, um, I think Franciscus, the reason his death scene works so well for me is that I like the character of Brent more than I think some people. I think some, because he he kind of looked like a... Made for TV Heston, is what I call him. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. He was like, you know, the Ken (laughs) doll version of Heston is how I'd heard him described. (laughs) Um, Like the younger, more handsome... uh, heston with better teeth like i keep hearing things like that
3: <laughs> i think Linda and, harrison says something like that on the documentary he was like a mini heston
4: so.
2: yeah exactly but the truth well, and, he, and he I literally think is when they when the two of them are together you see he's about 20 pounds lighter than heston Right, exactly
4: i mean they even make they even make a joke about it because zero goes taylor like like she's confused yeah. like you look like him but not <laughs> So you know, so they so they even kind of make a joke about that. But that being said, I think Brent's a good character, and and I am, I, um, in many ways I think he's a better person than Taylor was. Oh no so, question, right? He he's Taylor's a total asshole. misanthrope. The moment you know, once one of the first things you see after they after they arrive on Earth. He's being a total jerk to Landon for no reason,
2: right? Like you know, well, he's uh, trying to see where he could push his buttons. That's that's exactly. the only reason. We're, we're on a strange end. planet. We don't know how we're going to survive. But right. I'm going to have fun just busting I'm your mock balls. The hell out of
4: you <laughs> just because, yeah. But then you get to the end of the second film, and what Zachy said is true. You know what? I didn't have fun here, so I'm taking my ball and I'm blowing it up.
2: Yeah. Huh. But, you know, it, it's. I also found it a little not amusing, just a little different that they openly declare their love for Taylor. They yes. come right on and say, we grew to you know, love you We him. loved Taylor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and it's By the way, the saying, it's few not, not even Zira.
4: That's one of the very few lines where I don't hear Roddy McDowell when he talks. We love Kayla. It's that one line, he just suddenly drops the uh, impersonation. And it makes me <laughs> laugh every time. Like, that, that's not at all.
2: But the next thing he says sounds just like, like he couldn't get it on that line. for. Like, <laughs> but coming, coming out of zero, that would have almost sounded natural. Coming out of Cornelius, yeah, it, it almost seems... It seemed unusual to me that, that, he, yeah, that he felt he was, so strongly as to say that. I'm not it saying he really didn't It doesn't really match
4: the movie. It really doesn't, because throughout the first movie, he's reluctant to have anything to do with him. So it yeah. doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's the it's the first of many times in which the sequel eh, kind of altered the first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's one of the more minor changes, but it yeah, still exactly. caught me a little differently. But he, you know, I mean, like you said, Taylor Taylor is totally disenchanted with humanity in the first one. Then he becomes totally disenchanted with the ape society that's replaced it. And he's, he's the out there. He sees they destroyed the, the world. Yeah. He's, he's, he's totally, you know, he, he can't be more down on the world. And then you meet Brent, who is, despite everything, I mean, he gets shot in the shoulder. His captain gets killed. He's, everything that could go wrong for him does. And yet he's got this, much more positive attitude about him Mm -hmm. so yeah he's more likable than than taylor by all by by every account i can't imagine how you could you you may be more you might find taylor to be a more compelling character but you cannot tell me he's a more likable character
4: exactly yeah taylor really doesn't have that many redeeming qualities honestly and which is unusual for a protagonist you know It, it when you just get to the end of the movie and you go i'm fully pulled into this character and Honestly, I can't say much oh, that's positive of which is an interesting take on a guy.
2: Are you yeah, guys still I'm, there? I'm, yeah, I'm here. Paul, I, I can't am. hear you speaking. Can you hear me now? Oh, no, I hear you. Okay. I I, I, I muted to cough, but I think I might have just reversed my mute. I, I thought you were <laughs>
4: impersonating Marcel Marceau. I figured we went into
3: mime <laughs> territory.
4: Nobody under age 45 has any idea what the hell
2: I'm talking about. I I, uh, <laughs> I I don't remember what I was even saying, <laughs> so we'll just keep. It going. looked
4: interesting. I just couldn't hear it. It,
2: it was it was fascinating insight that I could never. the wisdom repeat. of the
4: universe on us, and we don't we will never know. There you go. Uh,
3: I well I I'd, I'd like to add a, a thought. I please. I think uh, we 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 kind of talked past uh, General Ursus, who I think is absolutely fascinating, and oh, yeah. uh, I think the symmetry of having James Gregory play him this bloviating idiot. Which is what he was known for with the the Manchurian candidate. That's not no accident. You know, they they wanted they wanted Wells and I can see that, but I think I think James Gregory just his voice is so essential to the character that it's yes. hard for me to really imagine anybody else but him playing the character.
2: Yeah, I I agree. He's terrific in it. I, I and I, I like later just kind of associated him with Barney Miller when he was on oh, there right. as, as the inspector right. all the time. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. that turned right. him into a little bit more of a caricature, but yeah. before that, you know, you, you mentioned the Manchurian candidate, uh, and, and just in in this movie, he, he, as a kid, I found him to be extremely threatening. He, yeah. he, he was frightening in his own way. Uh, and he was so, you know, militaristic and, and just with a goal. And, and when, they, when they're going, uh, you know, when they're going after the mutants and he's just, gung-ho, tear it down, break him, shoot him, kill him. Uh, he was great.
4: Huh.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think he's one
4: of the best things about the film.
3: And I I think, you know, people, uh, early, not people, I mean, one critique I've seen is that the the sort of the Vietnam allegory is very ham-fisted. And, and I was thinking about that when I was watching the movies with my kids, because obviously, like, they are in many ways, you know, the audience it's aimed at. And they took it as what it was. It's a lesson about, look, this is what, mil- this is what uh, uh, militarism does. This is, you know, and, and, you know, for them, like, it worked on that level. And it just, I, the parallel I draw is something like Star Wars, which is, which too is also, you know, Vietnam allegory for kids, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, that's, that's what this kind of story should be, right? It's it's in many ways it's a fairy tale. It's a very cynical fairy, uh, but then so we're so we're you know the grim fairy tales. Um, I, I feel like a whole generation of kids grew up being fearful of the consequences of war because of lessons uh, like mm-hmm. the one offered here.
2: Well, I think it definitely. Cold War mentality that existed mm-hmm. at the time about, you know, I mean, you know, Rich, you and I aren't so far apart in age that we don't have, right. I would imagine we have similar experiences as far as that goes, where we were constantly taught in school about how, you know, mutually assured destruction and, and how easily that could happen. And they made, the way they made it sound is, you know, there's a button and they press that button right. and it's over, much like Charlton Heston does at the end of this movie. Uh, we, we,
4: when I was in elementary school on a regular basis, we uh, had two drills in which we went out in the hall and sat with our head between our legs, just in case uh, there was ever a a war when we, when I was in the eighties. Yeah, we were, we were taught, we were taught to fear the bomb, uh, and I also had an image of, you know, somewhere there's one guy, and he's got a button, and he's doing this, and all he needs is for two people to turn the key, and then he could just go wham, and it's all over. And
2: Oh, I didn't even have the key in my imagination. Yeah, but in there my you image. go, yeah. I yeah. had a guy who, if he accidentally sneezed at the wrong time, we would dead. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I think this movie plays on those fears. Oh, Sure. And I think, I think, I think the apes
4: the apes theories in general, I think one of the reasons why the, the fifth film, putting aside budget for a minute, the reason it gets frequently called the worst of the five may be the fact that its message is a little more muddied for yeah. in, mm-hmm. in, in the first four movies, each one has a lesson to give. There's religious dogmatism and, and, and bigotry, f- nuclear, uh, the fear of nuclear annihilation, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the um, metaphor for the civil rights movement in the fourth one. These are really strong. Uh, all uh, for each to the first four movies there were strong lessons strong metaphors that would have resonated with people from 1968 to the early 70s fifth one not so much even though it's basically just sort of an amalgam of the other the other four films themes just playing out again um and in in uh, in the second one I think that I'm actually surprised when Zaki said that he had heard that uh, he'd heard people complain about the Vietnam thing I haven't heard that as much uh, I'm a little <laughs> sorry to hear that that's the case because I think that that I think it's one of the film's strengths personally. Yeah. I, I think
3: you know the critique I've seen and I, forgive me I, I, I wish I could uh, cite the exact source but the but it, it stuck out to me uh, that when you have the you know the, the sit-in and that sort of thing it's much more on the nose than uh, a much more nuanced uh, war, you know anti-war message in, in the first film and and again I I I acknowledge that I, I, I think, yes, it is on the nose, but I don't view that as a bad thing necessarily. That's mm-hmm. the way,
2: that's where I am at, you know? See what, what, what I like when you, when you're getting political messages of, of this kind of nature in a move. and you know, we've talked on off the record about politics and all, and I don't even really want to go there because I, 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 I like to keep it as simple as possible, but I like when, when you're going to do that, if you actually have somebody to articulate their pers- their point of view in in this particular movie, I feel like you had Ursus give his point of view as ridiculous as it was. And then you have the chimpanzees sitting there and all they're saying is peace, 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 peace. I would have really been more intrigued if one of them could have gotten into a little bit of a debate with Ursus and said, but why? But why? And just, you know, like giving them the reasons why what Ursus was saying didn't make sense to them instead of just saying, no, we want peace. Actually that's uh, a very
4: good point. I hadn't considered. Yeah. Although I, I think I would like liked that, that with Zira. You do get a little bit of that. But with
2: Zira, it's non-vocal. It's her willing, unwillingness to stand up. And-, and I think Zira gives you more of it in the first movie where she does kind of explain her platform a little bit. But in yeah. this one, I just, like I said, I just kind of feel like, yeah, you know, you're you're for violence. We're against violence. You're going to tell me why you think these people are a threat. And I'm just going to say I'm still against violence. I I, I would have liked to have seen somebody see say... I don't think they're a threat or even if they are a threat, this isn't the way to deal with it. I would have liked that. I, I think that would have just given you just a little bit more food for thought in this. Uh, you know, I, 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 in the opposite perspective, uh, I go to, you know, what back in the days when all in the family was a big show, which was probably contemporary with this or just mm-hmm. a little after this. And I, I often didn't like the fact that, They would take a topic that had two legitimate perspectives to it, Uh, you know, conservative and liberal, if you want to break it down that way or whatever. And Archie would be the conservative side and Mike would be the liberal side. And they would never let Archie give an intelligent version of why he felt the way he did it was he always was a stupid
4: caricature yeah he was yes portrayed as a, as a whereas character.
2: mike would speak intelligently very often and that was the perspective the show wanted to give and i understood that and i have no problem with that because most of the messages they were giving were, were correct although but, the show
4: was not above mocking mike because if you um,
2: remember the episode in which the apparently they had the home
4: intruder Yes, and Mike, we have Mike, a liberal. <laughs> a liberal, yeah. The, the Mike, Mike tries to empathize with him, and he, he mocks him just as much as Archie. But
2: yes, by and large, Mike got all of And I don't face. say that to defend Archie's point of view, because I think right. it was very often stupid. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I think, you know, every you like once a, in a while... You like,
4: you like a, an honest discussion as opposed to caricature.
2: Yeah, and, and I think there's ways of doing that, in, even in a sitcom, where you can do it in a funny way. I don't know. I, I, you know, just, just, just to, to use the the term that everybody hates. I, I do seek fair and balanced.
4: So. Not sure that even exists anymore, but no, know, it doesn't. It doesn't, and, nice.
2: and it and it doesn't. To, to be fair, I, I don't feel it exists anywhere. I don't think there's, right. you know, I think everybody's got their perspectives, and they they, they just run with it to our detriment. Where if people, I don't know, I think Zachy's fair and enough. balanced.
4: I actually think Zachy, yeah, Zachy, you might be one of you. You come off as one of the most fair and balanced people I've seen when I see you, oh my more so than I, I am. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> I don't I don't you know. I, again, I don't want to make this in any way political, but you know, I I, I always appreciate an intelligent statement mm-hmm. of uh, of of how things should be done, uh, whether it whether it goes with my own ideology or not, because uh, usually the ideology well, is the same, just the methodology is different.
3: I mean, I I think you know, uh, just to, to to tie together this specific conversation we're having to the the film. I mean, I think. Whether intentionally or not, I mean, that's the message of the film, which is when we don't have a willingness to actually engage meaningfully about ideas, when we're just locked into our own brand of zealousness, we talk past each other, Mm -hmm. and shit blows up, literally, in the case of the movie, but I mean uh
2: so i mean so that's
3: that's that's the that is the message yeah.
2: so if the, if they had been willing to engage ursus in an intelligent conversation I mean, there's no way you're winning ursus over to your side right. but maybe by ma- presenting that point of view yeah. maybe the people who were following him might have said you know what that makes more sense than what this guy's saying and then we didn't, yeah, then then mean, then, and then the earth doesn't blow up and we all live happily ever after
3: <laughs> Well, the the fact that at, at you know at uh, that rally the chimpanzees uh you know sh- show show their discomfort but they don't do anything right and so yeah so
4: you know that's I, a statement unto itself right there
3: it really is right like yeah. we we are meant to be like oh well the sin, the chimpanzees they're not something. which yeah but but a sin of omission is yes. still a sin
4: right if you don't stand up to fascism you're complicit. Yeah, that, yeah say, I mean, that is, yeah, that
2: is the, that, that's
4: the message there. Even if you say, I, I dislike fascism, if you say it and then you just sit, you just say it and you go home, you haven't really done anything. Right. So yeah. then if you yeah.
2: take it from that perspective, that's not a, you know, now, now you've, you've created, given me some food for thought. So yeah. now you're saying Ursus is wrong because of what he's doing and the chimpanzees are wrong because of what they're doing because he's wrong for acts, acts of commission and they're wrong for acts of omission and if either one of them went the other way we'd be you know the world would have survived
4: you you brought up uh i mean you brought up um uh on the family and it's interesting that the conversation just went the direction it did because the home invasion episode kind of points out that archie and mike are sometimes guilty of that both being wrong even though we as an audience can say i agree with one side or the other uh the chimps Okay, the, the chimps and the orangutans have allowed the gorillas to. Uh, if my family hears this conversation, they're gonna be like, "What?" The heck? But uh, they know the what you do for and, a living. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, that's true. The, the chimps and the orangutans have allowed the gorillas to end up the way they did. And when you see a, when you see any uh, society in which the sol- soldiers, uh, or police, or w- any specific section of society are doing things that have gone too far. Part of the problem is that they were allowed to do so in the first place. So everybody is to blame because everybody who creates a bad society and doesn't fix it is part of the problem. I think that's the statement of zero, of, the, of the chimpanzees not really doing much. And that might be, so there's something to be, there, yeah, I agree with you that maybe it would have been great to have someone engaged with Ursus. But the real question is, would it have made a difference? Probably not. No, probably case, not. I don't it, think so. But I think, from a, script real estate.
2: I think from a food for thought perspective in the yeah. movie itself, for someone to have stood up and say, this is why what Ursus is saying is wrong. Yeah. The message of the movie would have been much stronger. And we have a movie here that's a pretty lean 95 minutes. So if you made it 100 minutes by doing that. Yeah. Uh, and then you get into I, the I budget
4: think... problem again, though. I, but I, I, I'm with you. I would have liked to see it longer. Because it, it does go fast. It does.
2: And, and you know, I mean, the other area that I feel like it could have been fleshed out, just because, as we've said, I, I find them to be so fascinating, the whole movie, is mm-hmm. the mutants. I would have yes. loved to have seen a little bit more of their culture and how they lived. And, you know, all we see is how they worship, really, and then how they cause violence. You know, but now you're talking about we need more sets. We need more time filming. So, you yeah. know, the budget constraints probably prevented that as well. But I, I just... I find the mutants to be fascinating, and I would have loved to have seen more of them.
4: I think what I what I find fascinating about the mutants is that Planet of the Apes just 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 taking the five, original five films and now Planet of the Apes is great at holding up mirrors from one character to another, from one aspect of society to another, because Hassline and and Zayus largely fill the same niche in the story.
2: Just and on the opposite,
4: exactly. Um, you end also. You end up with with Hasline and Virgil having very similar conversations about changing lanes. And well, the mutants and and the orangutans definitely are a mirror of either. In both cases, you have xenophobic people who make questionable decisions and justify them in order to protect their people but really they're both just dogmatic closed-minded jerks and uh and they don't realize it because the greater good to them is all that matters
2: and despite the mutants claim of not performing violence they both go to violence immediately that, and that's and that's, that's the that right answer is,
4: and that's a mirror to ape shall
2: never kill ape and there's a death penalty yeah yeah is there anything else we should hit on in this one any other any other uh, aspects of this movie that you feel are worth discussing?
4: There is one thing I've always loved about this. is a lot of things, but I mean, there's one thing in particular we haven't really
2: discussed. Nova. And one of the Dude, things that it, I, I was think,
3: literally about to be like, Linda Harrison is really hot in this movie.
2: <laughs> oh well, there's because exactly. she wasn't hot in the first one.
4: Yes, she's even more goodness. But, but I, I, I meant I meant the um, the scene where she where she speaks. Is, oh, is, <laughs> is there's an it's incredible like painful, amount right? of emotion in that scene yeah. and, and it it's easy to it's easy to um i've seen people you know like there was there's a there's a facebook group where it's like there for a while people were put post- the daily nova they were posting pictures or i don't remember which group it was but i never saw anybody praising her it was just here's the here's you know linda harrison skin <laughs> and so
3: now i feel like
4: an alien <laughs> yeah and, no 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 dude i'm with you i'm she is Yes, but uh, just that um one of the things that that that, uh, that struck me about that scene is even though she didn't have a long acting career, there's genuinely good acting she, well, she, she spoke
2: told... she spoke about how in the first movie, she was a little intimidated by being. Paired up with Charlton Heston because she saw him as this, you know, iconic actor. Yeah. Whereas when she came back for the second film, not only did was she not really doing too many scenes with him, uh, so so it wasn't at the same level. But also, you know, now she had that movie she under her belt and felt experience. just more comfortable.
4: Mm-hmm. She she uh, it, it's a pretty extraordinary scene, and the way she says, and you know, and and, uh, and and all it took was one word, and there's emotion. But I, I think that's a pretty. Actually, I think she. I, I've heard interviews with her, and I, I underplays her her talent. The first movie. It cannot be easy to do an entire movie without saying a lot. Like I don't know. I, I, for most for most actors, if even even experienced ones, that cannot be an easy thing to do. Uh, and, and at no point do I think that Nova is irrelevant, right? So the fact that Nova is not irrelevant, despite the fact that she has one word in two movies, that's pretty pretty amazing, I
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I think her acting was pretty pretty good actually in both movies, but I think in this one even you know maybe a step up because she had to do a lot more. Communicating with looks in this movie than she had in the first one. In the first one, she played the person who was learning. In this yes. one, she's trying to convey to Brent what's going on without. She's actively it. trying to communicate, as opposed
4: to just following uh, uh, Esther. Yeah. yeah,
2: the so scene I think it where a he was more challenging Brent. role.
4: The scene where Brent tries to kill her, the look on her face says a story.
2: Yeah. I, I, I got to say, you know, I, I think just to go back full circle to where we started, the people who point to this movie as, oh, this was the bad one. I, I just don't know what, I, I don't see what they're talking about. And I, and I totally get what you said, Zachy, about the third and fourth ones uh, are higher on your list than this one. And I think the third one, because of the difference in the way that it approaches things, uh brings it to another level, and I will, I would say I would rate it higher than this one. The fourth one, to me, probably it's on a par with this. I don't know that I'd rate it above this. That's fair. And just to, just to take it from that perspective, I can't put it in the all-time classic Jaws mm-hmm. level. It's not Jaws? It is not Jaws. Mm-hmm. But for me, a very, very comfortable Jaws 2.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll co-sign For me, with the films, I think I go one, two, three, four five
3: because at any
4: at any given moment if i'm watching two three or four that's my favorite sequel at no point do i say the fifth one's my favorite but i love it um but i think two three and four all stand on their own because they're all such different movies crazy (laughs) bizarre telepathic mutant film uh a a Connecticut the second movie which is basically the first movie flipped but but throw in a connecticut yankee and king arthur's court then the fourth movie which is a a really dark civil rights movie it's it, they're such different movies that it's hard for me to and, and, and extraordinary in their own right. It's hard for me to say which one I say is better. I think it's the whatever one I'm watching, <laughs> basically is what it comes down to. But well, I, I still I, say I, the first one comes up here, and then two, three, four, and then five.
2: Well, I, I'm and I, when I say three rises above two and four, just give give it as if these were numbered sequels. Uh, right. It's not that I get more enjoyment out of that one because I get enjoyment out of all five right same here uh just but if i try to look at it a little bit more objectively i think it's a little bit more creative a little bit more well done i think the acting is is a step up three uh mean. yeah in three, escape okay. from the planet of the apes mm-hmm. uh so so from an objective point of view or at least trying to be objective be, being subjective in my objectiveness uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say three is a slightly better film than beneath or uh, conquest. I
4: can't I can't disagree with that. Because the second one it, I can't disagree. I'm sorry, disagree. If I said agree I meant to say disagree. I cannot disagree. Uh because the second one does have the problem of it, the first half being derivative. As much as I love it. The third one doesn't have that problem. It's a great flip to script on the first movie. And uh so it's not derivative at all. It's the you know what would be the exact opposite of that. And and uh I think the uh given that nobody would have expected the third movie to take place in nineteen seventies, uh, it, it gets a lot of marks for that one. If in the same way nobody would have expected the second one to blow the yeah,
2: No question. Now, Zaki, are you uh I, I know I heard mention of it. Are you and Brian gonna do a uh a, a commentary on this one? That that
3: is the plan, yeah. Before uh, before the year is out.
2: So I hope we haven't stolen too much of your uh, of your fodder for discussion here. No, but. if
3: anything, I'm just gonna gonna crib the things you said shamelessly and take credit. <laughs> that's that's my agenda as of right now.
2: Okay, well, I, I'll be very happy to hear. I'll, I'll be happy to listen to it either way. Uh, so <laughs> no problem at all there. But uh, I think you know we'll we'll call it a, a night on beneath the Planet of the Apes. Oh, just just worth mentioning also, I love the fact that the final uh, narration is Paul Freese. i I just yeah. I I just think it's, it's so good. You know, I I left, I I like the way it's written and I like the way it's delivered and I like Paul freeze. So all things are good. there.
4: By weird coincidence, about an hour before we started this, uh, this conversation, I was editing something in which I had mentioned Paul freeze and it wasn't this movie. So it's not like I sit around thinking about him. So it's kind of funny that it came up twice in one day.
2: (laughs) It's uh, I I, I just, I, I, I wish he had done more. That's that's all it comes down to. But I I love that the way the way they ended. What is it he call it? A tiny green, insignificant green planet. So it's, it's now. Just, <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, for, wait, wait, I forgot what the line is.
3: A green and ins- insignificant
4: planet is now dead. Is now dead. Yeah, thank you. I can remember when you said dead or gone. Yeah, is now dead. Yeah,
2: yeah. And and just just the mm-hmm. deadpan way he says it. Perfect. So. That it's said, almost
4: it's almost Orson Well Orson Welles like you know. That's exactly what what my yeah. thought
2: process was. I'm, I'm pretty I,
4: sure that's what they it. were going for too.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he's. He, I mean, he, he didn't have the fame that Orson Welles had, but I, right. I think his voice is every bit as compelling. So cannot disagree with you said, at all on that totally. That yep. said, I'll I'll call it a, a, an end to this tiny insignificant podcast. Uh, <laughs> and, this podcast
4: uh, is now dead.
2: <laughs> and i thank you both for coming on and spending some time with me again Zachy. you and i are making this a habit and rich it's good to have <laughs> you back again uh, yeah sorry it took so long you know you know what not happened not a problem not a problem it's uh you know i'm always happy I, to
4: do this whenever you want me to come back I, I enjoy this and not just about apes whatever you want to do
2: well you know my thought process is that we're going to finish the apes we have three more movies to do mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to figure out what's next. We'll, we'll, I'll find something else because I enjoy talking Gidget. to you guys too much. The Gidget movies. <laughs> I don't no. think we're going to do Gidget. No. No. <laughs> but I think we'll find something. Uh, okay, cause, cause good. this good. Because this is too much fun to just let it go if, uh, if, as long as I can still wrangle you guys in. Uh, but thank you both for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.
3: Thank you. Have a good night. You too.
1: I'll tell you one thing that every good soldier knows. The only thing that counts in the end is power! Naked, merciless force! Members of the Citizens' Council, I am a simple soldier, and as a soldier, I see things simply. I don't say all humans are evil simply because their skin is white, no. But our great lawgiver tells us that never, never will the human have the ape's divine faculty for being able to distinguish between evil and good. The only good human is a dead human.